Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the St. Louis Pain Expert Podcast. I'm your host. I have with me here today, Dr. Nate Kadlicek. He is a back pain expert, movement expert, and he's looking to change the healthcare system of the way that we treat from moving from a illness practice to keeping people well and working with people to change their lifestyle habits over the long term. So Nate, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. So we were in a Facebook group recently talking with some researchers that we mutually know, and you'd asked a question about if there's any research out about if exercise practices carried out over a long term, say a year or more, helps people with chronic pain. And I think the mutual conclusion was there isn't and there probably can't be because there's one big factor that would get in the way. And that's adherence, that uh, if people stick to it, chances are they'll get better, but there's a large drop-off rate. Um, So can you explain a little bit about some of the results that you've seen with patients who have adhered to an exercise program for a year or more? And then we'll get more down to how to do that if you have chronic pain, because, you know, if it hurts, you tend not to want to move, but you need to move to make it stop hurting. So it's kind of a catch 22. It is. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, Let me start with a story. And I I asked, um, this client of mine, if I could use her real name and real experiences. And she said, yes, totally fine. So just putting that out there. Um, So Danielle is a client that I've worked with now for over two years. Um, She had had um, an injury that happened. It wasn't work related, but there was a lot of things going on in her life at the time. Just, I think her her marriage was dissolving at at the time. Her son was really young. Um, she had developed some pain in her glutes and low back, and this just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And this was over five years ago, right? So, um, this was a long time ago. Actually, it was five years ago when we met. So, you know, seven years ago now, right? And things just continued to get worse. She wasn't able to really work anymore. She was barely able to take care of her son. She, when we met in 2020, she, in October, 2020, she could only walk 200 steps to her mailbox. Um, and that was it, like any, any more than that. And she would just have a horrible flare up of just sciatic type pain down her leg. Um, She'd gone through physical therapy, didn't work for her. She tried a bunch of different things, hadn't really worked for her. She couldn't even drive her son to school. It was only a mile away. So it's not like it's it was super far away, but just getting into the car and doing the motion of plantar flexion to press the, the gas pedal down just would flare things up horribly so she couldn't even drive so and she's she's not like 80 she's third she was 37 when we met so this wasn't this is somebody who used to go to the gym all the time she was fit she could leg press over 300 pounds like squat deadlift she could do all those things so this i think one of the common things that people who don't have 
chronic pain often will say as well, you know, they just weren't active or they weren't fit before. But the reality is that a lot of people who are now struggling with chronic pain, they used to be super fit and active, right? Like, I don't know, you've probably seen this too, but uh, I know lots of my friends who are physical therapists have seen this where it's not like people were active and fit. It's not like they weren't doing anything and thing and symptoms just like wrapped up immediately. So I, I just want to kind of uh, obliterate uh, that myth. But so she was really active. Um, this happened to her. And in October of 2020, when we met, she was on the verge of just giving up. Just like, she's like, okay, I just, I'm just throwing in the towel. This is what my life is going to be. Just like really hardcore depression at the time, just not knowing like how, how she's going to care for her son who was less than 10 at the time. Um, so young, lots of energy, right? And uh, we just happened to meet because this was during COVID. I started my Facebook group, which grew crazy fast. It was for uh, back pain. I'm not running that anymore, really. Um, but she joined it and she just we just hit it off. Um, she saw what I was doing with people. She saw kind of the message that I was putting out there that was, hey, there aren't quick fixes, but if you do something for long enough, consistently enough, it's likely that you will see the benefit. Um, and she just had that mindset. Like on the first call that we had like this, I remember her telling me, she's like, I will, I will do this as long as it takes to get better for myself and my son. Like I can't live like this anymore. Um, and that mentality that she had, I think, is a big part of why she's done so well, because she had something, her son, and just her and her, her um, parents are getting older, too. Um, they have some health conditions she has to help them with. So she knew that she's like, OK, I have to like be able to be there for my family. And so she had something out there that would give her the motivation on days that she just didn't want to do it. Uh, where she would get up and go. And so that was a big, important part. And then um, just the fact that we were consistent, that she was consistent with her movement routine over the course of 18 months. Um, she, like, for the first six months, we were just testing things. We were testing different movements, changing up the walking speed, changing up the walking duration, changing up uh, different types of exercise and movement. And I'll be honest, like there were several times where she flared up pretty bad and it lasted for a couple weeks. And this is a big part of why people drop off is because they assume that they try something new and then it flares them up that, okay, well, this just means that all movement is bad for me. And this is therefore just going to be the rest of my life. I want to really correct that and say, yes, there are going to be times where you get flared up, especially when you're trying to really like address a problem. And it might be that you get flared up for a couple of weeks, even a month. And that's super hard to deal with. That's like, that is really, really difficult. And if you're doing it on your own, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to get through that on your own. Even if you're working with a therapist, that's really difficult because maybe they didn't set the expectation for you that, hey, like you are going to flare up. Like it's not 
if or when, like you, you just use R. <laughs> and we're going to try to avoid it as, as much as we can. And we're going to come up with a game plan to reduce that from happening or reduce the intensity. But we need to set those expectations from the very beginning with people who have been dealing with these things for a long time. Um, and this is the expectations I set with Danielle. I said, hey, you know, we're going to do our best to give you really small bite-sized pieces of movement just to work on some of your functional deficits that you're having. For example, like bending over, she couldn't do it just to even pick things up from the floor. So we started implementing little bending routines here and there just to slowly increase range of motion. Um, and we had to go incredibly slow over the course of a year <laughs> in order for her to make significant progress. The problem with traditional physical therapy and cut me off at any point if uh, I'm if I'm just going on a tangent. You're good. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but the problem with traditional physical therapy and just healthcare in general is that the way that the system is directed is oftentimes you go to PT for two times a week for six weeks or two times, even, even let's say two times a week for three months, right? The problem is, is that the way that physical therapy is often billed is you have to be there for a certain amount of time. This is if you're using insurance. It's a little bit different for cash-based providers, but even still, there's generally a time component with it. And so the issue is when you have chronic pain and it's really irritable, sometimes the only thing that you can tolerate is one set of 10, right? One set of 10 of one exercise. And that might be your movement for the day. <laughs> now, this seems incredibly small, but the, the problem is that when you're going to PT a bunch of times, sometimes the therapist has to put you through like five or 10 different exercises to, to be able to, you know, fill the time up. Right. Yeah, they got to fill that half hour slot. Yeah. Or hour they or gotta fill, yeah. Exactly. They can't, they can't just have you do one set of 10 and then you're there for five minutes and it's all right, see you later. <laughs> so unfortunately the system that we have it works for people who are generally going to get better anyways um where it doesn't really matter the exercise dosage they just need to move but for somebody who is super irritable in terms of their their symptoms getting worse with very small amounts of movement having a time-based treatment paradigm is probably the worst thing that you could do for, for somebody who can't tolerate it because the incentive is all wrong. And so it's my, and it's just my opinion. Um, I, I'm happy to be proven wrong on this or just hear different perspectives. But I think that instead of saying, okay, we need to fill this much time or like you paid me X amount of dollars for this much time, that we need to think about it more of what is the optimal dosage of movement for this particular person? Does that mean it's going to take two minutes per day on their own time? Is that going to be um, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, is it going to be one exercise, two exercises? And then maybe the time that we spend together is just going to be discussing how to best move forward and maybe addressing some of the fears that you might have kind of, um, addressing like, Hey, I know you're in a flare up. Let's figure out a way to minimize this. Either using like ice, heat, massage, you know, other types of modalities to kind of calm things down. Um, 
and just really learning more about um, movement and the science behind pain uh, versus just using that time for uh, for exercise. And you know, you can use those the the sessions too for you know changing the form on certain exercises to make it feel better um, and, and making adjustments that way. But I think again, just to kind of summarize that we need to come up with a more innovative approach to helping people with chronic pain where they get irritated really, really quickly um, because the current system that we're using is not, is not working. I totally agree. And you brought up some great points. So I'm just going to kind of summarize those really quickly and you can correct me if I didn't catch any of those. Um, but first dispelling that myth that people who live in chronic pain are just lazy, that they don't take care of themselves, that they're couch potatoes. In fact, sometimes I think it's harder for people who have been at the top and then fallen so far that to see where they once were and where they now are. It's just really depressing. Um, the other part about just the stick with itness, um, having something to to get better for, having a motivation that I need to get better for, you know, my child, for my parents, for whoever else may depend on me. Um, if you're just doing it for you, then it, you know, there may not be as big of a motivation. Or if you're just trying to do it to get rid of the pain and not for some larger, greater good, then there may not be such a great motivation. But if you have something bigger or external to yourself that that drives you forward, then you know, there is that motivation and you, you can stick it with it long enough um, to actually see results. They, they say a lot of people turn back 10 feet from gold. And I think we see that a lot in physical therapy. Sometimes it's a hundred feet from gold or uh, 10 miles from gold because it, it just hurts. And you say, oh, forget it. This isn't for me. Um, and then finally, just that, that paradigm of, you know, we need to change the practitioner's role from being a personal trainer who counts the reps and says, do 10 sets of five sets of 10 of these three different exercises or three sets of 10 of these five different exercises um, to more of a coach and an educator. And I think that's really why we're both here today is to educate people and empower them to do things on their own time when they're not with you or I or another physical therapist. So thank you for raising all those good points. Um, let's kind of talk about how someone who is in chronic pain gets started on that process because there is that temptation and motivation to just want to say, ah, forget it. Yeah, I'm too far into this hole. I'm just going to have to live with it for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull kind of the ending of the story for, uh, from Danielle. She can now walk 10,000 steps. She could like, she could only walk 200 steps. And this was in 2020. Now it's 2022. She's going to, she likes um, uh, Dragon Con. It's kind of like the, the uh, Dungeons and Dragons of Comic Con. But she can now go to those conventions, which was a huge part of her enjoyment. Um, she can fly there. She can, it's amazing. So she can now walk 10,000 steps. She can drive her son to school. She can be there for her parents. Um, and this is somebody who literally could not walk 200 steps. Um, so, where we got started was we looked at, okay, what are your current functional abilities? Can they, how far can you walk? What are all the different, um, you know, bending forward, bending backwards, side to side? Can you get up from the floor? Can you do a squat? Um, you know, all of these little things that 
you need to be able to do to basically function as a, as a human, right? And um, I look at those and then we start at the smallest dose. I like to start everybody as they're capable on a walking program, focusing on steps, not focusing or not focusing necessarily on the, um, you know, going a mile or anything like that, but okay, if you can walk 200 steps, great. Let's do that once per day. And maybe if that's too much, we break it into 100 steps twice per day. And so we find something very attainable, something that's not something that you can do very successfully. And then we build from there. And you might be thinking like, well, what in the world is doing a hundred steps twice per day going to do for me? And what it's doing for you is it's not gonna change you physiologically necessarily, right? It's not, it's not gonna magically build a bunch of bone density or muscle mass or like increase your cardio respiratory capacity by just doing that, right? But think about it this way. You are increasing your ability to show up and move even when you have discomfort, right? So you showing up and moving and establishing a new habit of movement, that is actually going to help you when it's time to increase the intensity or increase the duration of walking. First, we have to establish the uh, routine of moving. And we wanna make that as easy and painless as possible because you've already been dealing with pain. You don't wanna keep, keep dealing with more and more, right? So we need to establish a movement routine that doesn't significantly alter where you're at currently. And then over time, it's kind of like the analogy of, um, of putting a, a, a frog uh, in the water, right? And you, I don't know if this is true or not, but, and you turn the heat up and it doesn't really notice that the temperature is, is rising. It's kind of the same thing where you are, you're just adding steps every week, every couple weeks, and all of a sudden, you're feeling the same, but you're doing 10 times as much, right? So you're feeling the same. You're you, you were doing 100 steps and you were feeling okay. Now you're doing 1,000 steps and you feel okay. And then all of a sudden, you do that long enough, you get to like 5,000 plus steps. You're walking a mile, basically, right? You're, you're actually walking a little bit over a mile when you're doing that. Um, so it's really important to establish the habit first, and that's by doing the smallest possible dosage that you can do without necessarily making things worse. And that helps to establish that habit. Um, so that that's how people should get started. And I think that and that doesn't just, that's not just for exercise, that's for anything you want to do. Um, remove the barriers, remove, like, we have this idea that everything has to be hard. Um, and that every, like, if we're not working hard, then it's not worth it. But you like you don't have to die on that hill. In fact, like there's lots of people who have died on that hill, and it's not a good hill to die on because you don't feel good doing it. Instead, like if you want the actual outcome that you desire, don't die on the hill. <laughs> Just take it nice and slow, and you will actually reach the outcome, as opposed to getting buried under the snow trying to like climb Everest. So. Um, 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, that would be my main message on, on that one. So uh, start small, establish the habit, and then uh, you can build from there. And even though those 200 steps a day may not uh, physiologically change you, it allows you to take 300 steps and then 400 steps and then 500 steps and so on and so forth. So let's talk about habit formation. I know that's one of your areas of expertise. How do you establish those daily routines and daily habits? Yeah, so first it is looking at, okay, what is what habit do I want to establish? What How, how do I want to be or how do, I, how do I want to show up in the world? Like who basically who do I want to be? So that takes a bit of introspection itself, right? Once you've established the types of habits that you want, and you've tied them to something that's important to you. So like for the example of, you know, I want to increase my, I want to improve my health, right? This is a habit that a lot of people uh, want to improve for the new years, right? It's like, okay, well, why do you want to improve your health? Well, because I know it's good for me. Okay. Well, why is it good for you? Well, because I have cardiovascular disease that runs in my family and my father's had a heart attack and I want to be there for my kids and grandkids when I get older. Okay. That's a pretty, like, that's a pretty good reason. Um, to want to be healthy, but sometimes we have to really dig down into like, why is it really important for us? But that's not enough to establish the habit. Like it's good to know why it's important to you. But then the next thing is we have to remove an all or nothing mentality. So uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, let's say that your goal is to walk 10,000 steps a day because you know that that's really healthy for you and, and that's good for you and all that, right? And you say, okay, I'm going to do 10,000 steps a day, but you don't take the time to audit how many steps you're already doing. If you're if you're only doing like a thousand a day or less, doing 10,000 a day is going to be a 10x increase, a thousand percent increase of of what you are currently doing. That is that is an insurmountable um, goal for anybody. Like you might be consistent with it for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but that is really, that's a huge shift. So what I recommend instead is it's great to have a goal of like a, a big goal like that, but what's more important is what is realistic right now for me? What feels easy to me? Like whenever you're establishing a new habit, have your why, figure out what that is. And then the second step is, okay, how can I make this as easy as possible where I could do it even when I'm chronically underslept, I hurt, like what, what's, the, what's the amount that I can do on a day where I just feel horrible? That's the amount you should start with because then on your good days, you can always increase as you feel, as you feel comfortable, but you want to start with something that you could even do on your worst days, um, because that way, when they inevitably come around, you're not going to drop off and miss one day, two days, five days, because that's when it starts to become really difficult. Like, well, 
I didn't hit my 10,000 steps. So I might as well just give up. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's start with, okay, your, your base was a thousand. Great. Let's start with a thousand a day, right? That's how much you've been doing already. Now you're just cognitively aware of it. And then as you establish that and you can really stay consistent with it, then we can start to increase that over time. So, I, and I'm using steps. It can be other, other habits, of course, but that's just an easy one to kind of wrap your head around. So number one, have your why. Number two, um, establish the lowest viable dosage. So like the easiest amount, and it could be like the, that, you know, you're walking for two minutes at a time or one minute at a time or, you know, something crazy, crazy easy. But again, it's about show it's building your showing up muscle. And once you've built your showing up muscle, then you can start to increase the difficulty of it. So we've discussed exercise, but what are some other daily habits that would help someone who's dealing with chronic pain like uh, like your patient was? Yeah, so um, there are a couple things. So another habit that one of that Danielle was using was uh, she actually did journaling. So she found that it was helpful for her to write down kind of how she was feeling, um, and just to be more in tune with, um, with what she was, with what she was dealing with. Um, sorry, give me a second here. Um, give me one second. Yeah. So that was one thing that she had built a habit with, um, her, her sleep habits as well. She started to change those too, trying to really focus on, okay, um, instead of, you know, staying up really, really, really late and, you know, watching shows or just kind of winding down that way, I'm going to, um, you know, reduce my time doing that. Honestly, the biggest things that she did were around movement. Um, and then the rest of the time that we discussed, um, or that, that we were, um, kind of having sessions and, and chatting about how to continue to make progress was also around the uh, the mindset of of somebody who can establish a new normal. So changing, like working on actually changing her belief structure around how long this will take, um, what is a normal response to exercise versus a not normal response to exercise. So this kind of moves from habits to more of like uh, belief change. Um, but we really had to dive into even the difference between muscle soreness and pain, because if you had pain for a while, but then you get muscle soreness, sometimes you're not able to differentiate between the two. Um, because just it, it's all pain at that point. You're like, well, I don't know. Is it muscle soreness? Is it not? Um, and so we had to really fine tune the language that we were using too. of, okay, here's, this is like pain. This is like the sciatic type pain versus, um, this is more of like a discomfort. Like, yeah, okay. I did squats and my quads are sore. And so that's, that's, that's what that is. So kind of, um, even redefining the language that we were using was, was important too. And so this actually was kind of a, a new type of habit as well where uh, instead of, um, and this is something I talk with a lot of my clients about, 
instead of kind of jumping to the worst case scenario and going down what I call the panic panic route of, you know, pain onsets and then just, we just drop off a cliff, don't do anything. I encourage my clients to, when they do start having a flare up or they're in the midst of one, instead of going down the panic route, trying to look at it from an analytical perspective. And that helps to remove the fear component because you kind of have already expected it. You know, okay, here are the three or four things that if I do them, I know that it won't make it go away completely, but I know I can control some of it. Um, and so just even changing her thought pattern on that, not going down the panic route, but going down more of the analytical route to really say, okay, I'm hurting. Um, this isn't fun and I don't like this, but I know I can do X, Y, and Z to help control symptoms while my body figures out the rest. Um, and so that was something we also worked on together was identifying um, kind of what thoughts and beliefs she had that were kind of keeping her in that, uh, that chronically flared up state uh, and then addressing those and kind of changing it. I think mindset's really important in, in any goal and particularly with regards to pain. Um, you know, some of the leading research in the, in the world, I think Laura, Laura Mosley was, was one of them. Um, people who can reconceptualize pain um, are, it predicts success and, and people who can't, it, it actually predicts failure. So the ability to change your mind um, needs to come before you have the ability to change your body. We talked about gradual progression of activity. We talked about sleep. We talked about uh, mindset. Um, where does nutrition come into things for people who are dealing with chronic pain? That's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I'm not an expert in the nutrition side of things. Um, I generally rely on others um, for for their expertise on this. Um, they're, they're probably, from what I've read, there probably is some contribution of food in its relation to more of a low-grade chronic inflammation. Um, but to what extent that is, I, I don't know for certain. Maybe you have more that you can add to that. Um, my main recommendation for people is pretty simple. It's to, you should eat the foods that, uh, number one, make you feel energized, right? Um, generally, those are not highly processed foods. Um, highly processed foods, like depending on who you ask and what you read, um, people will say that, well, you know, they're not you know, they're, they're, they're calorically very, um, very dense, um, and they have low satiety. So meaning like you can eat way more calories, but feel less full because, um, of just the, again, just the, the way that the, um, the food groups are made up. And then if you eat more fruits and veggies, plus you increase your protein intake, and then you just have your normal amount of, of fats, pretty much like a basic Mediterranean diet, generally, if you don't have like Crohn's or something else, that tends to work pretty well for people. Um, I think a lot of people get into the, they likely get into the weeds too much when it comes to nutrition, like trying to change every single thing, trying to take a bunch of supplements, all these different things when really like if you just, like I try to keep it as basic as possible. If you just eliminate processed foods, for the most part, 
increase the amount of leafy greens and fruits, increase your amount of lean meat proteins, and then have just your normal amount of saturated and polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats, you're likely going to cover all of your bases. Um, now, this isn't talking about like weight loss or anything like that. That's a more you know nuanced discussion as well. But for the most part, I think people probably get caught up in the weeds too much um, with nutrition, kind of looking for like, well, if I, I think it's kind of along the same lines, like looking for the one specific exercise. Well, if I could just figure out this one food group that I'm, you know, that's causing my inflammation, it'll just all make it go away. But I just haven't seen it happen. I just like, <laughs> you know, like, I just haven't seen it happen with clients. And maybe there is that one person out there, or a few people out there where they do need a very specific dietary um, change, you know, but if somebody's eating like a really healthy Mediterranean style diet or, or just, I, should, I hate calling it even a diet, but if that's just the way that they eat, I, I haven't really seen anybody make huge strides by completely switching that. Yeah, I do agree that people tend to get caught up in the weeds too much. There are like people with autoimmune conditions that have food allergies or food sensitivities to certain groups. And I'd say those are probably more the exception than the rule. Um, but in general, I think if you clean up diet, um, you know, try to eat foods as close as they were in nature and uh, not highly processed. Um, get all the green leafy vegetables, lean organic proteins, omega-3s, so you keep your water up. Um, that helps most people. And then if you have all that in place and you do need to supplement that, that's when it's time to, to start delving into supplements. Um, but I, I think Correct. people do go looking for the magic bullet a little bit in, in well, if I just had this one thing, um, this one exercise, this one back brace, this one um, supplement, then, then all my pills would go away. And I hope this isn't a, a, a spoiler to anyone listening, but none of those things exist. There, there's usually not uh, one magic bullet. It's just, like you said, consistency of doing a lot of little things right over time for most people. Um, yeah. So what other resources would you recommend to someone who wants to improve their daily habits, whether that just be to be healthier coming into the new year or to move more or to get rid of some chronic pain that they have? I'm just going to give one recommendation because if I give too many, people have uh, paralysis. Uh, 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 what is it? Paralysis by analysis. Um, so read the book or listen to a podcast episode with James Clear. He's the author of Atomic Habits. You will never need to read another habit book in your life. You can even just, if you don't like reading books, yeah, listen to the podcast. If you don't wanna to listen to the podcast, you can even look at like the cliff notes. Uh, it gives you a very easy to follow habit formation strategy that you can implement. And uh, again, it is a bit of shifting your belief structure that things have to be hard. Things don't have to be hard. Things are just as hard as you make them. Some things are inherently hard, right? If you want to train for a marathon, yeah, it's probably going to be difficult. There are going to be times that are challenging. But if you're just trying to establish a new habit to get healthier, to reduce your pain, to be more functional, to create a new normal, follow that book, 
is excellent. So that, that would be my recommendation. My one recommendation, check out James Clear, Atomic Habits. You can find he, he's awesome. And I've learned a lot from him and a lot of my habit um, formation strategies that I use with clients is actually from him. So. Well, thank you for that. And if anyone would want to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Um, they can go ahead and just shoot me an email. Um, they can also reach out to me on Instagram, um, LinkedIn, all these different um, different platforms. My email, we can put that in, in the show notes also. Um, but it's basically Nathan at CatalystPT.com. Catalyst is spelled a little bit different like my business, but we'll have that in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, that'd be the, the easiest way to, to get in touch with me if you guys need some help. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share your knowledge with us. And I hope you have a great day and a happy, healthy new year. Thanks for listening to the St. Louis Pain Expert Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you live in the St. Louis area and would like Dr. Candy's help to find a solution to your pain, visit our website at stlpainexpert.com. Email Dr. Candy at dave at stlpainexpert.com or call Dr. Candy's clinical practice at 314-941-3970. If you're listening from outside the St. Louis area but would still like some help, feel free to contact us to learn more about our virtual health coaching. Regardless of where you live, please share our podcast with anyone you know who would benefit from learning more about pain and what can be done to relieve it. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform so you get notified when we release a new episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll enjoy us again soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.